This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, let's get to it, gang. We've been in this series called The Gospel of John. How many of you guys have been enjoying this series? I'm so thankful to be able to journey through this gospel with all of you, and I believe John offers us a very unique perspective on who Jesus is and who Jesus wants to be in our lives, amen? This wasn't just written about them. That's true. It was a message for them, but it's also a message for us. And so if you have your Bibles with you, open them to the book of John. We're going to pick up with chapter 4, verse 1. And today we're going to read from verses 1 through 26 together. When you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor Jay. Wow, you guys are fast. Okay. And here's what it says, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. All right, if this were our day, he'd probably be sitting at Starbucks, uh, the, the watering well of our time. And so Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's about noon, for those of you that don't know what that means. So he's sitting at the well at noon, and a woman, verse 7, from Samaria, came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? Now time out before we proceed. Many of us are startled by this because we don't understand that in Jesus's day, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. There was great animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. They both stem from one of the same descendants, but they lived on different mountains. The Jews lived in Jerusalem and the Samaritans lived across the way in Samaria. And they had a beef, <laughs> if you could call it that. They had a, a conflict with one another. So much so that Jewish men would not talk to Samaritans or Samaritan women and vice versa. In fact, it would have been considered very culturally inappropriate and highly offensive for Jesus to be talking to this Samaritan woman and vice versa. Are you feeling me today? So let's pick up with it. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The, the writer kind of clues us in right here on some context. Verse 10, and Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I want you to swipe or underline or highlight in your Bibles the word living water. The woman said to him, verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever, say it with me, whoever, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus switches the narrative from it being about a physical moment, a physical encounter, literal water, and he starts talking about living water. He starts talking about something supernatural or spiritual in nature. Are you tracking with me? He says that whoever asks for it will be given a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's trying to point the woman beyond the temporal, and he's trying to point her to the eternal. And here's what it says. The woman said, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she's still missing the point that Jesus is trying to make. So Jesus, being a good Messiah and a good rabbi, And a good teacher says, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying this, that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. Jesus gets real close and personal, doesn't he? What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Verse 21, and Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, say true worshipers, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us about all these things. And Jesus responds to her, I who speak to you, Am he. Today I want to talk to us about what it means to become what I'm going to call tonight for the purpose of our time together, a spirit and truth worshiper, a spirit and truth worshiper. For those that were with us earlier in the year, you'll know that Pastor Jim already did an amazing job covering John chapter four, but I'm going to pivot a little bit from where Jim was and what he spoke on. And I want to talk to us about spirit and truth worship. I want to talk to us about becoming this spirit and truth worshiper. So let's pick up with verse 21. Let's pick back up with Jesus's words here. And let's key in on a couple key phrases that I think are important for our time. The hour is coming, verse 21 says, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you'll notice I bold that text, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The first thing I want to say to us tonight is that spirit truth worship is not location specific and it's not geographically bound, which means that you can worship God wherever you are, at any time, at any place, no matter where you find yourself. We see this throughout the New Testament where Paul and Silas find themselves in prison And what are they doing? They're worshiping. They're worshiping the Father. They weren't limited by the circumstances that they faced. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been arrested yet. 
Perhaps someday I will for good causes. Perhaps for preaching the word here in the United States, you'll see Pastor Jay get locked up. Depending upon where you live, that is becoming closer to being a reality for you. But maybe you've never been locked up. Maybe you find yourself in a day job from nine to five where you've got quotas to meet, you've got responsibilities to carry out, tasks to attend to. Did you know that you can worship God at your workplace? Did you know that you can worship God at school? Did you know that you can worship God here in this place? Did you know that you can worship God anywhere you find yourself? Why? Because spirit and truth worship is never location specific and it's not geographically bound. Here, this Samaritan woman was hung up on her geography. She was like, I don't understand, Jesus. You're telling me all these things about what it means to worship the Father. And you're in Jerusalem, and I'm here in Samaria, and we can't do what you get to do in Jerusalem. We don't get to go to the temple. We don't get to come into the holy place. We don't get to to partake in the life of God amongst his people in the same way that you do. Here we are in Samaria. We're geographically limited and bound by where we find ourselves. Maybe some of you feel that way growing up here in Utah. Maybe you're not from Utah. Maybe you're from somewhere else, like Pastor Jay. I'm from California. But maybe you grew up with this idea that your worship has to be tied to a specific place and or location. Spirit truth worship is not location specific or geographically bound. Here's what Joshua 1.9 says. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? We like this verse a lot here at Courageous Church. But it goes on to say this, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Did you know that wherever you go, the Lord wants to cultivate in your heart and in mine an awareness of his presence? We use a term in Christian theology called omnipresence. What it refers to is the fact that God is everywhere. That everywhere we are, we can experience the tangible presence of God. And this is true. And here God is telling Joshua in the Old Testament to not be afraid because he's going to be with him wherever he goes. We already see this playing out. There's no geography limitations. There's no uh, location that this is tied to. He says, wherever you go which means that you and I can make this personal and apply it to our lives in the same way. Matthew 28, verse 20, in the New Testament, we see the same promise reiterated again. And behold, I am with you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to us. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is Jesus trying to communicate? He's trying to communicate that you and I can live with the continual awareness of his presence each and every day, wherever we are and wherever we go. Are you tracking with me tonight? As a church, this is how we like to say it. We like to say we are presence driven. We are driven not by principles. We are driven not by programs. We are driven by the presence of almighty God being with us. And we live with this awareness each and every day when we wake up. For some of you that set your alarm on your phone, how do you get out of bed in the morning? Do you come jumping out for joy or do you roll over and hit the snooze 10 times? Yes, most of you hit the snooze. But do you wake up with the immediate sense and, and, and uh, assurance that God is with you? Because if you're not, you need to. You need to wake up every day and greet the Lord. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for another breath. Thank you that your mercies are new. Are you with me tonight? 
What that does is it starts to train your mind. It starts to build in you an awareness for the presence of Jesus, the awareness of God's presence being with us. So when we talk about spirit truth worship, we talk about being presence driven. We're talking about living with the continual awareness that we can worship God at any time, any place, anywhere. Verse 21 also says this, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The second point I want to make tonight is this, spirit truth worship is always relational. Say it with me, relational. Which means that you can approach God as a loving father. Now I know this is difficult for some of us who didn't have loving fathers or perhaps who didn't grow up with a father at all. Perhaps our biggest challenge as believers is relating to a God that we don't know because we never knew our dad or our mom. We never had a loving parental figure in our life. Sadly, that's becoming more normal in our day and age, isn't it? We're seeing young people grow up without the presence of a father, without the presence of a loving dad in their life. And which, which means that it becomes harder and harder for us to relate to God as father. But yet this is exactly how Jesus wants us to learn how to relate to God. Not as some ethereal uh, force out in the universe, not as some deistic presence who set the world in motion and then turned, its, turned his back. No, but as a transcendent, ever-present father in our life. Listen to what uh, Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 9, it says, and it's not going to be on the screen. But Jesus tells his disciples, after preaching one of the greatest messages called the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them how to pray. He says, in this way, pray, our Father who is in heaven. He begins with the words, our Father, not my Father. Did you notice the distinction? Jesus wants us, as courageous followers of Jesus, as believers, to relate to God, to approach God as our father. John 5 verse 19 says this, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that is what the son does likewise. Do you see the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his father? with Father God. That's the same kind of relationship he wants us to have as well. We see it also in John chapter 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me this commandment, what to say and what to speak. You see, Jesus's relationship with the Father, the way that he communicates in his mission and in his mandate in coming to earth is all influenced by his relationship to his dad. And I wonder if we, before we get caught up in trying to do good works for God, I wonder if we stop and remember and acknowledge that he is our father who loves us. He is our father that's for us. He's not against us. And maybe you had a harsh dad who always seemed like he was against you. That's not our heavenly father. Our father is good. He's a good, good father as the song goes on to say. And so the context of how we're supposed to relate to God is relationship. That's why spirit and truth worship is always, number two today, relational. Verse 22, Jesus goes on to say this to the woman, you worship what you do not know, 
but we worship what we know. Number three tonight, spirit truth worship is always intimate. Say it with me, intimacy. Intimacy means that you can approach God, not just as father, but as a lover and as a friend. We see this in John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, I and the father are what? We're one. You see, the goal of worship is this. It's not that we cry a bunch of tears and have warm, fuzzy feelings. I love crying tears and I'm all for warm and fuzzy feelings. But you know what the goal of worship is? It's oneness. It's intimacy. It's being in close proximity to the one that our heart beats for, the one that we love. Jesus would go on to say this in John 15 verse 9, as the Father has what? Loved me. So have I loved you. Therefore, abide in my love. Or some translations say, remain or stay or sit down in my love. The idea here is that God wants us to know how much we are loved by him. And maybe you haven't heard that in a while. But can I tell you, God is absolutely head over heels in love with you. There's not one moment of the day where in his infinite mind and wisdom and omnipresence and omniscience that he doesn't think about you, that he doesn't think about what's going on in your life, that he doesn't care about your struggles and your pain and the moments where you feel like he couldn't be any further from you. He is a loving father who loves you. And, he, and Jesus says, just as the father has loved me, that's the way that I love you. See, the son carries out the love of the father. And then he says this, abide, come close and sit down. The picture is of one who takes a seat and waits a while. Don't you just love that imagery of not having to be in a hurry, not having to be in a rush to experience God's love? But isn't that what kind of counterculture today? Isn't our culture and its version of what it considers intimacy and love, isn't it all about getting what you want as fast and as quick as you can? Real love takes time, doesn't it? For you husbands and wives, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Real love sits down and is willing to wait a while. It abides, it remains, it endures. You see, abiding is, is about intimacy and intimacy is about union. It's about becoming one with the Lord. It's, it's being known by God and knowing God. Being known by God and knowing God. Can I tell you something? As a pastor, you know what I would really love our reputation to be? That we are people that really, really love God. That we are great lovers and pursuers of Jesus. That people out in the world and in this valley would say, there's a church that is crazy about the love of Christ. More than anything, more than the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the movement and the revival and all the things that we love to pray for as a church, you know what I pray? That we would be a people with fiery, burning hearts of love for God, for a father, and for our neighbor, for our city, for those all around us. As a church, that's what we want to be accused of of being great lovers of Jesus. So number three, again, spirit, truth, worship is always intimate. Verse 23 and 24, Jesus goes on to say this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, say true worshipers, true. 
which implies that there are going to be false worshipers. There are going to be counterfeits to this in our time. But Jesus says, the time is coming and it's here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You'll notice that I added a little emphasis here. It's not capitalized in your text. It's not capitalized in the Greek either. But I wanted you to see some emphasis here. Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He says it again. It's almost like Jesus is trying to get in our attention. So number four, spirit, truth, worship is both and not either or, which means that you can worship God in both spirit and truth. You see, some churches pick and choose how they want to worship God. Some focus solely on spirit, and they tend to overemphasize wanting to see a move of the spirit, and all they ever talk about is revival, revival, and revival, and they prioritize the presence of God because they are spirit oriented, or we could say it this way, they are bent toward the spirit. Some churches focus solely on truth. All they talk about is truth, truth, truth. They come up with phrases like sola scriptura to talk about emphasizing only the scriptures. What are they doing? They're prioritizing the communication of God's word as primary because they are bent or oriented toward truth. But here's what's amazing about our Messiah, King Jesus. He doesn't ask us to pick and choose. Why? Because it's both and spirit and truth. Verse 24, he says, if we're going to worship God the way that God actually wants to be worshiped, and that is key here, folks, we're not just coming up with an idea about how we're going to do this spirit life together. We're not just rambling on about things that we thought were a good idea. No, we're taking our cues from God about how God himself wants to be worshiped. And it says this, that we must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus uses the word must, not optional. It's not optional. So maybe you prefer truth. That's awesome. But you must worship him in spirit. Maybe you love the spirit and you're like, woo, I love the spirit. Never know what's going to happen. I'm just flowing with the Lord. Guess what? You need a healthy diet of truth. Your life needs to be grounded to something that's going to exist after you're dead. And it ain't going to be your warm, fuzzy feelings and your wonderful little moments, as great as those are. It's going to be his word, his truth, which is everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. Amen? So Jesus says we need, we need both spirit and truth. And at Courageous Church, we are a people that are rooted in the gospel. We're committed to truth. We're rooted in it. We take our cues from God's word. It's the supreme authority in our life. But we're also people who are empowered by the spirit, which means we want to be driven by the spirit. We want to be led by the spirit. The Bible says that those that are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. So spirit orientation is our identity. Truth orientation is our identity. Why? Because spirit truth worship is both and not either or. Are you with me tonight? Jesus didn't ask us to choose, and Jesus himself didn't. And lastly today, verse 25, Jesus, uh, the woman says to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming, 
And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, and I love this, I who speak to you am he. God the Son is standing before this beautiful Samaritan woman who is oblivious and clueless to who's in front of her. And Jesus, who she perceives to be a prophet, is telling her all of this stuff and he's making known the mysteries of his kingdom and gospel to her. And he's telling her about how God wants to be worshiped and how she actually gets to be included in that, which was hugely good news for someone who was a Samaritan who felt cut off, marginalized, outside the camp, not a possessor or inheritor of every promise of God in Abraham, this was amazing news. Jesus is saying, guess what? You get to be a part of how God wants to be worshiped. And then she's missing the point and she keeps going back to the water and she doesn't know who's standing in front of her. And sometimes I wonder if that's us with our daily expectation of how we think or don't think God is gonna show up. Sometimes God is right in front of our face and we can't see him because we're preoccupied with the well. We're preoccupied with the water. And yet Jesus, in his loving kindness, in his great heart for this beautiful woman, tells her, I am the Messiah, the one that you've been hoping for, the one that you think that I've been pointing to, I am he. In other words, he claims, he makes this outrageous claim to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. This is one of Jesus's claims about himself. So number five, spirit truth worship is all about Jesus, which means that you and I can follow his example. Amen. How did Jesus live a life that was pleasing to the father? That's the question we want to ask and, and answer. How did Jesus glorify the father with his life? That's what we want to know. And that's what spirit truth worship is all about. It's not just about us singing as much as I love to sing and as much as you love to sing. And you've all got a voice that Jesus loves, by the way. And as much as you love to worship God with your voice, spirit truth worship is not just about singing. It's about our whole life's response to who Jesus is. It's about us recognizing our Messiah and who he wants to be in us. Paul says, Christ, the hope of glory in you. That's the invitation. As a church, the way we communicate this is that we are a Jesus-centered people. We want everything we do to be about Jesus. We want everything we do to be centered around Christ and Christ alone. Here's what Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 says in talking about Jesus-centered worship. John says this, then I fell down at his feet to worship him, meaning the angel. But he said to me, you must not do that because I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Therefore, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do you want to know what the most spirit-filled and prophetic thing that you can do is? It's to make your worship and your life and your testimony all about Jesus. It's to center your existence around who Jesus is. It's not just looking for warm and fuzzy feelings on Sunday night. It's not just serving the poor on Monday night. No, it's making your whole life's response to who Jesus is centered around the king. You know what it is? It's consecrating your life 
to Jesus alone. That's the invitation that we see in this passage. And as a church, this is our number one core value. It's to be devoted to Jesus. Devotion is worship. To be spirit truth worshipers means to be fully consecrated and fully devoted to Christ. So let me ask you today, is that your heart's desire? To be fully devoted worshipers of Jesus. To be accused of being a great lover of God. To be accused of living a life that pleases the Father. To be accused of glorifying him in all that you do, believe, and confess. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never devoted your life to Jesus. I believe in taking next steps. I believe that God is as close to you as your next step toward him. The Bible says in James that as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. You know why? Because God waits to be wanted. God waits to be wanted. Some of you husbands and wives can relate to this in a smaller way and form. But isn't there something amazing about having someone who pursues you because they want to pursue you? Not because they're trying to get something out of you. Not because they're, they're trying to, to, to form you to their will or get you to do something they want, but only because they want to bless your heart, because they want to love you, because they want to care for you, because they, they want to be with you. Well, how much more so does our God, who longs to be worshiped in spirit and truth, wait to be wanted, wait to be pursued. For some of us, we're waiting for God to move and God is wanting you to move. We're waiting for this great move of God and God's waiting for us to move. <laughs> He's waiting for us to take what? Not a giant leap of faith, a small step, a tiny little step. And here's the cool part. When we take a little step toward God, he takes a giant step toward us because he waits to be wanted, because he waits to be pursued. Did you know that you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit? You can actually grieve the Lord, which means that he has feelings and emotions, and not in the, the human way that we express and, and understand emotion, but in a cosmic, eternal, godly way. God has feelings. He can be grieved. He can be uh, blasphemed. He can be disturbed. He can be angry. He could be upset. He can be zealous as we've seen throughout the series. He can be jealous for you as a, as a jealous husband is jealous for their wife. Why? Because he waits to be wanted. Because he's looking for you and I to become the kinds of worshipers that worship in spirit and truth, who live lives of devotion, where we say, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's not about us building a, a big church. It's about Jesus. It's not about us building a big brand. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us doing community projects and trying to convince people to believe what we believe. It's all about Jesus. And when you meet him, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. And maybe you're watching this online and you're at a place where you're ready to take a small step toward him. Can I just encourage all of us here tonight and those of you watching, he's already taken the best step towards you by going to that cross and dying for you by stepping into a place of suffering so that you and I would know that he knows what it's like to suffer, that he knows and is well acquainted with our sorrows and our pains and our frustrations and our feelings. He knows because Jesus came 
And he stepped into our humanity and he stepped into our moment and he stepped into our world so that we would know that we could put our heart and our trust and, and give him all that we are so that we wouldn't be worshiping a God who doesn't understand our struggle. Oh my gosh, you guys, he understands. And yet, without sin, he died for us so that we could become his righteousness, so that we could have our slate washed clean, not just today, but tomorrow and forevermore. We believe that taking a step toward Jesus is the first step to living a life devoted to him to saying, Jesus, it's all about you. And as a church, this is what our heart beats for, to become the kinds of people who are fully consecrated to him. So if that's you tonight, and maybe I've been speaking this word and you feel the love of the Father encroaching upon your life, you feel him knocking on the door of your heart, you feel him present to you, I wanna just pray for you, is that okay? Church, can we just pray together in these closing moments that we have? And maybe you're watching online and I want to pray for you as well. And it's a prayer that we like to pray almost every week when we can. And it goes like this. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you understand where we are because you've been where we stood. You know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to go through pain and hardship. And you know what it's like to be mocked and abused and whipped and tortured. You know what it's like to be misunderstood and marginalized because of who we are and what we look like. You, you know all of those realities because you've experienced them. And yet, you didn't allow that to become a cause for offense. You didn't let that thwart you from your mission, which was to come and to die on our behalf, to stand where we could never stand, at Calvary, to take up that cross and to do what only you could do, which is die for the sins of the whole world. So God, tonight we recognize you in these moments. We say that we surrender. When we say we surrender, we say that we repent. We, we change our mind about the way we've been living and, and the, the, the lies that we've been believing and the, the things that we've made it about that aren't about Jesus. And we take a step toward Jesus tonight. God, as you take a step toward us, I pray, Holy Spirit, in these next few moments that you would minister your life, that people would experience freedom and hope in you. So Jesus, save me. Save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from missing the point when you want to do so much more in our life. Save us from all the things that keep us bound. Jesus, we believe and we confess that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And you went to that cross and died for us and God the Father raised you to life again. Which means that you've conquered sin and death and the grave. And you did it for love. So Jesus, come. Give us a new beginning in you. Fill our hearts with your love and your compassion for people. Help us to become kind and full of your spirit. Give us freedom and hope. And fill us, Lord, with yourself all the days of our life. And we thank you for that gift. In Jesus' resurrected name and all God's people, say amen, amen. and amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.